0: Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on January 16th, 2017, or 2018. Oh my gosh, I'm already doing yeah. it. It's 2018. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> 2018. Just kidding. Um... My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, and I'm 50% of this show. Joining me, as always, is Brad Galloway. He is the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad?
1: I am doing as well as can be expected. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to get into that now. We talked about that in the banter. If anybody wants to know more, they can uh, catch that at the end of the show. But otherwise, I'm good. I'm doing real good. Um excited to be on the show today lots of stuff to talk about in fact too much stuff to even fit in this episode but it's going to be a good one anyway
0: good good um we have a lot a lot of games to cover because brad as usual every week you're like oh i'm so busy i'm working like 20 hours a day i'm so busy and then i'm like all right what games do you want to talk about and you're like oh i have these like 30 games i want to discuss this week
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, I was, I mean, that is true, but uh, to be fair, I was saving them up over the last couple of shows. You know, we had a kind of an unusual um, holiday season between uh, missing an episode, doing a banter show, doing the Game of the Year show. So like that whole time that we weren't actually covering our normal stuff, I was actually still playing stuff, keeping notes, you know, getting ready, saving up content for the future. So I am content rich right now, my friend.
0: That is true. I guess I forget about that because we have been on an unusual schedule with Game of the Year last week, the banter show the week before, skipping a show the week before, because um, I have been, I have not been playing that many games. I mean, I have stuff to discuss tonight, but I, over Christmas break, I was so busy that I wasn't really playing anything. So I don't really have anything built up, but I do have some stuff to talk about.
1: Right on, right on. Let's get to it, my friend.
0: Uh, for sure, for sure. Um, I want to take a second to discuss... I I do a brief discussion topic before we talk about games. Is this a very special episode of So Video Games? I mean, it's not really a special episode, but (laughs) I just, I just have a thing that I just want to, like, it's just one of those things where I, like, kind of want to, like, get it off my chest for a second. Oh, shit.
1: Oh, shit. Is this, is this heavy?
0: No, it's not heavy. It's just, like, it's, like, one of those, like, minorly annoying things that I see on Twitter, and it's been bothering me, and what better platform to get it off my chest and just to discuss it on the show and i'm sure once i get started on it you'll probably have some things to say and some responses and we can just kind of talk it out for a minute but let's take like like 5 minutes and just discuss yeah, this dude, topic
1: yeah dude yeah i don't i don't go i have no idea what you're going to say so go ahead and lay it on me we're going to talk <laughs> it out right here we're going to talk it out
0: all right so I have—I've been seeing a lot on Twitter over the past couple weeks, you know, because it's Game of the Year season. Everybody's doing Game of the Year stuff, you know, for the past, like, you know, maybe, like, two or three months. And uh, just recently, I've seen a few people on Twitter. um, They will—they'll, like—you know, because some people, whenever they do Game of the Year stuff, they will talk about— stuff that they like the most that year. They'll talk about stuff they like the least that year. They'll talk about maybe some stuff in between or do like categories or do whatever. And I've seen a handful of people on Twitter um, basically just like flat out say like, hey, how about we don't do this and we only discuss the things that we liked for Game of the Year and we only celebrate things that we liked and we don't put like, I don't know, like the negative energy out there or whatever or don't use Game of the Year season to like criticize other kinds of games um or you know like basically like uh you know like say like negative things about games like let like let's just t- take it off the table and only use game of the year season to to praise games and i have to be honest i call major bullshit on that like i understand that game of the year season or you know even if it's like movies if it's like golden globes or oscars or whatever like Like, there, you know, it's a time to celebrate the things we loved uh, over the past year. It's a time to be excited about the games that we liked. But I don't like living in this universe where people are not into criticizing things. I mean, I understand if people are coming from a perspective where they're like, um, you know, let's talk about the things we like, but let's not just, like, super-duper shit-talk. Because I'm not really about, like, super-duper shit-talking games. Like, I'm about talking about a game and you are too about, you know, discussing what we liked, what we didn't like, what could be better, what rubbed us the wrong way, what we liked in the first five hours then what we didn't like in the rest of the game or something like that. You know, so if it's people just being like, oh, this game sucks. And like, that's all they're saying that it's not, you know, very, um, it's not very thoughtful commentary, but I don't like the idea of people trying to dictate the kind of content that other people are putting out. If it's like critical commentary because what happens if we live in this like bubble where everybody's talking about everything they love and nobody's talking about things that were just okay or things that they didn't like, then there, there becomes this like hype machine for certain games. And uh, like, and this is a terrible example because I, I know people don't like whenever we talk about it on the show, but like for Nier, like Nier Automata, everyone was talking about how much they love that game and so therefore, I thought I was going to love that game and I, was, I welcomed it with, with arms wide open um, to play it and I ended up not liking it. And I think that there is a time and space to discuss, to be critical of games and to, you know, talk about games in a different way that will maybe like warn people that maybe the game is not as good as everybody else says it is. And so these things don't get built up by, like, only people talking about how great it is and being, like, afraid to give commentary, like, negative commentary on it. Because then everybody thinks that everything is magical 100% always and there's nothing bad out there. And then you get people that buy the games because nobody – because people are afraid to criticize them. And then they're disappointed because they didn't like the game. And so, like – I'm just I'm over this notion of people being like, "Oh, it's game of the year season. Let's only say good things about games and let's not dare criticize anything, because then you're going to get people like me who wanted to like this a certain game and then ended up not liking it because people were afraid to say critical things of it. And I just don't I, I just don't like this whole notion, this whole like, let's not criticize things in game of the year season. I think it's annoying, and I think, I mean, I get where people are coming from because people want to be positive, they want to celebrate the things they like. But I think that there is a space for criticism as well. And I think it's annoying when people try to dictate what other people should and shouldn't say about games or movies or what have you, just because we're in a part of the season that's supposed to be celebrating games.
1: That is true. This is, this is why we make a good podcast team, because we are we are definitely on the same page about this. Although I would even go further and say, although I, I definitely agree it was really magnified during Game of the Year season, but I noticed that's kind of been a problem like lately in general. Um, <laughs> I mean, that I means it's always, I mean, the game industry has always been like falling prey to hype. I mean, that's just been the way it's always been. That's probably the way it's always going to be because people get excited. People want to promote things. i mean, I get that and that's fine. But when you let, you know, like, like us, like we're here to talk about games, honestly, we're here to talk about what we like, what we didn't like. And I, I have noticed recently um, that people kind of take it like the wrong way. Like people don't understand what criticism is anymore. Like they don't understand that you cannot have something good unless you refine it, unless you work on it, unless you examine it, unless you think about it. You know, not everything is wonderful. You you can't just like sit down at your computer, bang out a game in six months, and then it's like the best thing ever worthy of top 10 consideration. You know, you got to like check it out, like workshop it, see what's going on, get some feedback, talk about it. You can't make anything good unless you really honestly examine it. And that is what criticism really is. Criticism is not just like ragging on something and taking a shit on something and being negative all the time. It's about honestly looking at something and saying, this didn't work for me, or this was a good idea, but it kind of went wrong this way. Or, oh, I wish this thing had done this thing. That would have had a different effect on the gameplay or X, Y, Z, you know, whatever. Um, but lately, it seems like people are are forgetting what criticism even is. And they they kind of hear anybody saying anything negative and then all of a sudden you're a hater or you're, you're uh, you know, you're bringing everybody down or you're just being awful and you're hurting someone's feelings. And I mean, I'm all about respecting people. Uh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I believe in that 100%. Um, but when you're talking about a game or about a project or about, you know, a piece of art or about, a, you know, something that somebody's crafting or especially something that somebody's selling, you have to be able to talk about that honestly. And it doesn't make you a bad person to say that there was part of it that you think didn't work and you shouldn't feel bad as a person. If you like that thing and someone is criticizing it, it's not a personal attack. It does nothing to do with you as a human being. We have to get past this. And so I totally agree. I mean, I did notice there was quite a wave of people who were like, okay, we're skipping all the negative. We're not going to talk about anything bad. We're going to just talk about the good, which is in general fine. And honestly, I kind of wonder if that's a little bit of um, a response to how our political scene is in America right now, because there is quite a bit of negativity. There's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety going on. And I've noticed um, a lot of people really coming to games as a way to escape that, which, I mean, I understand. I totally understand. Uh, America is in real bad shape right now. We are in a lot of trouble. And it's people want a safe thing to go to. They want something that's comfortable, that's positive. They can leave those worries behind. So I get it. I totally get it. And I'm sympathetic. I mean, I've done the same thing myself. But at the same time, it doesn't really do anybody any good to just be a hype machine all the time. And it doesn't make you a bad person if you want to criticize something. You have to be able to do that. There would be no good art without art critics. I mean, there would be no good books without people to criticize those things. There would be no good games or music. I mean, you have to be able to do that process. And if you don't do that process, then there's just, everything you do is going to be, is not going to be as good as it could have been. So I agree 100%. I uh, I think there's a big difference between being negative and giving criticism. And I think that we are want to stay on the criticism side it's a very necessary, vital thing and it has value. Um, so I, regardless of what other people are gonna do, we are still gonna be doing criticism here and, uh, and that's just not gonna change. So hopefully people <laughs> who listen are on board with that. Hopefully they understand what we're talking about. I'm glad you brought this up because I've actually been thinking the same thing as well. It's a good point. Good, well, um,
0: now that that is sufficiently off my chest and we've both been able to say our two cents about it, um, maybe we can move on to talk about games.
1: Let's talk about games, man. Let's talk about games. I have a jillion games to talk about. And I, <laughs> I had a really hard time picking which ones I wanted to talk about. And some of these may go by a little quick because I don't have a lot to say about some of them, but I kind of wanted to just get them out there before I'd forget. Um, the first one, I haven't played very long at all, but I wanted to just let people know that it was even a thing because I have not heard about it. I haven't heard anybody talking about it. I haven't seen any PR for it. Uh, it's called Iconoclasts. And I think it's just by a very small studio. It may even be just like a couple people. Uh, And it's put out by Bifrost Entertainment. I don't know a whole lot about it. I literally like just started it like last night. Basically, it is a 2D sprite based uh, Metroidvania sort of game. I'm playing it on PS4. Uh, You play as a girl who is a mechanic. She's got some, she's got like a big wrench that she does stuff with. She's got a gun. Uh, she can jump and double jump, like kind of your, your basic kind of like platforming maneuvers. But the thing that's worth talking about is that the graphics are just like gorgeous on this game. Like the people who are, are making the visuals clearly have a way with pixels. Like it's colorful, it's bright, everything is super well animated. It looks really warm and inviting. Uh, I just love the way it looks. Like you just see this and you're like, oh man, I want to check this out. I want to play this. It looks just so delicious. Uh, also, there seems to be a pretty fair amount of story going on. I, like I said, I'm not very far in. But it seems to be uh, that there's going to be a number of characters to talk to, and there's going to be like a, you know more narrative for a game like this than there usually is. So I'm not quite sure where it's going yet, but I am very interested. So um, just a really, really quick word on that, just so people know about it. Um, if you want something that's uh, from the indie scene that looks really great, really high production values, the controls feel really tight, uh, I'll be playing a little bit more of it and I'll see where this goes. But just heads up that, that Iconoclast is a thing. It's going to be hitting... <laughs> the PS4, maybe even today, maybe even today, or maybe this week, like it's coming up real soon. And even, I mean, I wish I had something more of substance to say about it, but, um, I know some of the people who are working on this, they're good people. And I just want to get the word out because I would hate for this to just go completely under the radar. And right now I don't know of anybody who even knows that this is even a game. So I'm um, just checking out real quick. Iconoclasts, I may have some more to say about it later, but it looks like a real, uh, real winner so far. I'm glad you said
0: something, because I had never heard of this game, and it sounds like something I'd be really interested in, so
1: I will definitely be keeping my eye open for it. If you try it, let me know what you think. It is so cute. like It is so visually appealing, so rich. But um, Let me move on to another game. Speaking of criticism, uh, this is a difficult one to talk about. Uh, Another indie game. It's called Little Red Lie. Have you heard of this one, Corey? I've heard of it,
0: but only very briefly in passing, like seeing a screenshot or something on Twitter.
1: Okay. So this is also like another indie game. I think this is done by like basically one person. His name is Will O'Neill. I talked to him briefly on Twitter. Uh, I think it was Mac Cunningham who was talking about this game. I hadn't heard of it. And he asked me if I was going to play it. And I'm like, oh, what's this about? And as we were discussing it, the guy who actually made the game jumped in on the Twitter thread and he's like, (laughs) oh, I made this game. Would you like to try it? And I'm like, why, sure. Yes, I will. Um, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. Oh, no. Uh, this is a really difficult thing to talk about. It's going to be really difficult when I put my review up. Um, I mean, I actually just finished my review of this last night. Um, basically, Little rely. it's done by the same guy who made Actual Sunlight, which was like an indie darling a couple years ago. Have, did you hear about Actual Sunlight or did you play it? No, I don't know what this is. So that made the the circles as a real like winner in the indie scene. I never played it, but I bought it. It's on my Vita. I haven't gotten to it yet. Basically, that was about, I think, a game kind of exploring like depression or suicide or something like that. Like it was pretty heavy stuff from what people tell me. Um, so I'm interested in checking out what he has to say, but I haven't gotten to it yet. This is his next game. So Little Red Lie is about two characters. One is a woman who is really financially insecure. She lost her job. She's going to live back home with her folks. Her folks are not doing great. She's really down on herself. Doesn't have a lot of self-esteem. The other character is this guy who's like a motivational speaker. Uh, One of those douchebags that goes around and talking about like, you know, Uh, believe in yourself and do these things and you can do it and pull yourself, you know like those I like how
0: you describe him as a douchebag because I think motivational speakers are douchebags also
1: (laughs) oh they're total douchebags they're complete fucking douchebags and he is like really awful like he has this um persona where he's like super positive on stage but you can hear his thoughts and he is like the most awful person he's like Donald Trump and sexist and racist and everything just like wrapped up like everything he says is just fucking awful so it's these two characters and the, the, the gist of this game is that it is, I don't want to say it's a visual novel because that's kind of suggesting there's more gameplay than there is. This is like interactive fiction where it's like there's a story and there's a script, but all you're really doing when you're playing this is like pushing X to advance the script. And like every once in a while, you'll have to move your little pixel character around. Like you'll be inside a house and it'll be like, oh, I need to find my cat. And so you walk like five steps and find the cat. And then read some more text. Or it'll be like, oh, I need to find my car. And then you walk through like a parking lot for like 10 steps and find your car. And then you just read some more text. So it's not really like a game game. It's it's kind of like interactive fiction. But I'm playing it on the Vita right now. Uh, The other thing, the other kind of angle to this game is that, you know, the title, Little Red Lie, in the script, everything that is like a lie is highlighted in red. So like the text in general is black. And then when either character, the speaker or the woman, motivational speaker or the woman, when they say something that's a lie, it'll be in red. So it kind of clues you into like how often they're like lying to themselves or lying to someone else or just being kind of disingenuous about what they feel about a thing or a person or an idea or whatever. Pretty interesting at first. And I want to say up front, like, I mean, Will O'Neill, the writer and creator of this game, clearly a smart guy, like absolutely a smart guy. He's got some very, very incisive observations about money and about culture and about life and about people. I mean, the dude has things to say. And I think that a lot of what he says is correct and true. And it makes sense to me. Um, So I respect that for sure. The problem is that this game is like, I didn't finish it. It's like maybe like seven, eight hours long. And when you're talking to these people, it's hard to even express how negative these characters are. Like literally... Every single thing they say throughout the entire game is either something derogatory about themselves or derogatory about someone else. It's a really cynical view of like basically the entire world. I mean, these people have like these hollow relationships with no love where people are just taking advantage of each other. Um, At one point, um, the motivational speaker rapes somebody and he like totally justifies it. Uh, There's this, you know, there's all sorts of like advantage being taken over other people. Uh, crazy, crazy, like negative self-esteem, like really just really self-hate and a lot of, um, God, almost just like nihilistic tone to the whole thing, which would be kind of okay. And in fact, I mean, I was fine with it in the beginning for like the first hour or two because I feel like, oh, you know, he's really kind of commenting, um, you know, kind of like the opposite of what we were just talking about, about the rah-rah culture that we're kind of um, pushing back against in games where it's like, oh, this guy is really calling it like it is. Like he's saying these people are so focused on money and these people are, dishonest. And so they're having trouble having real relationships. I mean, that makes sense. And it's fine. And I I was waiting to see where he was going with this, but it just goes on and on and on. Like literally every sentence is something horrible and something awful and something really just, oh, just so negative. And I know people like to make jokes about us. Like, oh, we, you know, we're negative on the show and we criticize people and blah, blah, blah. But this is like on a whole other level. This is like so like spiritually like dark and depressive, and um, just, oh, it's just, it's so, it's like getting hit in the face over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And, over. and I just, I couldn't take it. I really couldn't take it. Um, I got about maybe three quarters of the way through the game, and I needed to just take a break because it was just too fucking much. Like it was just bringing me down. It was just really painful. And like the story doesn't really go anywhere. Like it's just scene after scene of them doing awful things and saying awful things, but it wasn't really building to anything. Like nothing was really happening. And I'm like, oh my God, like I can't read any more of this. It's really just like awful. So I put it down for like two or three days and then uh, I figured out I didn't have too much more to go. So I'm like, okay, I got my cup of coffee. I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to power through this thing. I'm going to get to the end of it and just want to see what happens. Maybe it's going to change at the end. Who knows? And I sat down and I put another like half an hour into it and I'm like, I'm done. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to read anymore. I don't want to like take any more of this negativity into me anymore. Like I don't want to see it anymore. It was way, just way overpowering, way too negative. Um, just too much, too much, like eight hours of this way too much. So I bailed, I pulled the ripcord and ejected and I did not finish it. Uh, but I did play enough to review. So my review will be going up and I just, I really cannot recommend this to anybody. Um, I don't, I don't understand why he did what he did for so long. Like, I think from a structural perspective, it it should have been shorter. It should have gotten to the point quicker. It didn't need to be so long. And it's just, I can't even describe like what a... Like what, I mean, like slog is not even the right word. Like it felt like this grueling ordeal to get through this game where like people were just saying awful things to you all the time. And like, it's hard to even express like how... How damaging that was. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't want any more of this game. I don't want to, to play it anymore. Uh, and I'm honestly really surprised. Um, after I finished my review, I went to, to Metacritic to see what other people thought. And it doesn't have a lot of reviews right now, but like, it's like three of them are like in the 80s. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding? And like, one's like a seven. And I'm like, wow. I was really surprised by that because um, I don't know. I mean, people can like what they like and that's fine. I'm not going to tear anybody's review down. But for me, it was like, from a writing perspective, and from a characterization perspective, and from the perspective of someone who has to sit through that for eight hours, uh, my review is going to be a lot less favorable. So I struggled with this. And as my first review for the year, this was a terrible note to start out on. I really did not like this game at all. Um, yeah, it's it awful, kind of awful, kind of awful.
0: This, okay, so... This sounds really fascinating to me. And I don't say that in a way that I, because I don't know if I would like this or not without, you know, without playing it for myself. Um, But like, I'm trying to think about what this game's target audience is. Is it people who are depressed, who like want to feel like they're in the company of other people who are depressed to make them feel better? Or is it like, keep i like i don't know what i am trying to figure out who this game is for
1: i honestly don't know dude i really couldn't tell you because i mean so what this what this feels like is if someone was talking to you and they were like Corey, you're ugly you're fat you're bad you're terrible you're shallow you're a liar you suck you're never going to do anything good no one loves you you're alone like like for eight hours like can you imagine sitting through that for like eight hours like how terrible you would feel I don't know who the fuck is going to sit through this. I don't know who wants this. If it was going somewhere and if it ended up getting to where it was going quicker, I could understand maybe using this as a way of seeing a different viewpoint or of explaining, um, I don't know, just, you know, commentary in modern society. But it is just like so damaging. I literally couldn't take it. I don't, I don't know who would want to sit through this. And I, I got to be honest, man, like as I was playing with this, I was like, oh my God, like I hope this guy is okay like the writer who's writing this is he all right like this is really dark shit like I mean really really dark shit and I uh I don't know I I honestly couldn't tell you I I can't sit through it I can't play it anymore I don't know no clue huh
0: I what platform are you playing it on
1: uh playing it on Vita I believe it's also on PC I think you can play it on PS4 uh I'm not sure if it's on Switch or Xbox One but definitely PC and all of the PSN platforms Okay, I'm going to have to look this up, because it
0: sounds unique enough for me to want to sample it, but, I mean, also by what you've said, I'm not sure if it would be something that I would be interested in, but just the way you described it, it's one of those things where I feel like I have to see it for myself, so maybe I'll look it up on Steam, you know, now that I have a big gaming PC, I can just look <laughs> it up on Steam, um, or, like, look it up on the PS4 or something, and... Uh, and Yeah, and really check this out, because it sounds really intriguing, but it sounds like the kind of thing that I could also, just like you, play it for like an hour and be like, wow, this is all this game is doing? Like, maybe I shouldn't play it anymore, but I just have to see for myself on this one.
1: If you check it out, let me know what you think, because, you know, I I consider myself to have a pretty thick skin. I'm really open to a lot of different experiences when it comes to games, but like this one was just too much. Capital T, capital M, too (laughs) much, so... God, even talking about it now, is just like dredging up like bad feelings about it. And I don't even want to talk about it anymore. So let's move on. Let's move on. Corey, you are playing a game that I was actually, in fact, I think I even bought this. I think I bought it. It was on PSN sale, but I haven't played it. Black the Fall. What is up? What is up with this game? <laughs> so,
0: okay, Black the Fall. I ha- I'm going to be straight up and say I haven't played this game very much. I've only played it for maybe like 45 minutes or so. But this game had been on my radar for a while because looking at the um like the the cover tile for the game and looking at like screenshots of it it kind of looks like inside from play dead it's got a very like like black and white with splashes of red kind of color scheme um and so whenever i saw it and i'm always i mean more often than not i'm always up for like you know kind of like a moody like 2d side scroller kind of game you know like like Limbo and Inside and stuff like that. So, and this game looked like it was going to be like that, but I really didn't know anything about the story. I'd been waiting forever for this game to go on sale and it finally went on a PSN sale for like their um, like game of the year or like their year-end gaming sale. So I picked it up and, um, and I haven't really given it a lot of time. And part of it is because it's one of those games where I feel like I really have to sit down and give it my full attention whenever I play it because some games, you know, you can just pick up and kind of sample, but this is one of those ones where I'm like, okay, I really need to sit down. I need to put my headphones on. Like, I really need to kind of tune into it. And I haven't done that. And part of it is because, uh, kind of like Limbo and Inside and you know Playdead's games, it's kind of hard and it's kind of frustrating. Um, so to back up a bit, it. It's a 2D or maybe like a 2.5D or, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, like side-scrolling game where you play as like a, um, like a a humanoid, I mean, I guess he's a man, like a humanoid man or something. Um, I mean, maybe he's like a robot or something, I'm not really sure, but he looks like a man. And it's kind of set in this, like, dystopian, kind of like Soviet Russia, like, kind of place and you you start out and you I think you're in some kind of like like a camp like a military camp or you know some kind of like you know um very like oppressive environment and I guess you're trying to break out or something and so it's like Mm -hmm. side scrolling almost every it's kind of like a room for room thing where instead of like constantly, like, moving through these big, um, you know, side-scrolling environments. It's more like you're in a room, you solve a puzzle, you kind of go to the next room, or you, like, crawl through a tunnel and get to another room, and then there's, like, a puzzle there, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, but it's just kind of, um, it's, like, a little bit too hard for me, maybe, because there's scenarios where it's kind of one of those games where, like, you have a puzzle in front of you, and if you mess up something, you die. Like, you die in one hit, You reload at the beginning of that stage or at the beginning of that environment, and then, you know, you try it again, and if you mess up, you die in one hit, and then it's over with, and you just kind of keep, you know, keep doing that, and, I mean, part of it is probably me not being smart enough to figure out the game, and part of it is just me um, getting frustrated at certain puzzles Because it's, it's kind of a game like where you, it's kind of, or maybe I'm just dumb, but it's kind of hard to tell exactly what you're supposed to do. And so you basically like have to die as like a rite of passage to figure out what you're supposed to do. And I'm just having like the experiences I've had with, with it so far are not ones that make me want to turn it back on and play it some more. Like, I mean, I, it's like, it's okay. Um, and like the visual style is really interesting, and the story kind of maybe seems like it could be going interesting places, with like breaking out of this sort of like oppressive camp. And there's a lot of like, um, like, like there's segments where there's, there's dudes that look like they might be robots because they have these little like antenna coming out of their backs where they're like pedaling these bicycles and the bicycles are like providing mm-hmm. energy for the camp that they're in. And you have to like you have, like, a laser on your arm and you can, like, remote control the robot people to, like, switch bikes and you have to, like, switch into the bike that you just got them off of and then, like, switch another person to another bike and then you get on their bike while you're trying to, like, avoid the spotlight that's going back and forth because if the spotlight sees you, then it basically, like, shoots you and you die. And, um, like, I feel like this is my kind of game, but it's just, like, one or two steps too far in the puzzle department. Um to really keep my attention because I just basically keep dying and keep getting frustrated. And I feel like solving the little like room puzzles or scenarios is not satisfying enough for me to want to keep playing it beyond dying a bunch of
1: times, I think. Interesting. So I did, I'm pretty sure I picked this up because it was on sale on PSN. I've seen it. And I think this is one of the indie games that square enix you know they've got some kind of bullshit like indie program where it's not really an indie program but they like <laughs> they're like oh if you like totally put your whole game together and pass money then we'll market it for you or something you know some, it's kind of a bogus program like that i think that's where this is from i'm pretty sure yeah and, i think they <clears throat> call it the square enix collective something like that yeah 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 um i so i haven't tried it yet it looked interesting like you said very um limbo ish but is this more is it more on the puzzle side as in you need to figure out exactly what to do, or is it more on the, um like, reflexes, like, I know what to do, but I'm not quick enough to get it done sort of a thing? Or is it just right in the middle? Like, what's... Is more puzzle or more action?
0: I I feel like it's a little bit of both, because, like, you know, in a game like Inside, you know, there's a lot of sequences where, you know, you have to do something quick enough or you die, or, you know, it's, like, pretty cut and dry, like, you have to run to this cliff... And jump. And if you don't jump fast enough, then like X thing will kill you or something. Um, but it also has, you know, just like straight up puzzles where you're like wandering around a room and trying to figure out what to do, but there's not really like a death uh, scenario. And I mean, I haven't played Black the Fall enough to like really settle on which one it is. But I mean, most of the scenarios I've been in, it's been like you're in a room, there's some kind of puzzle if you don't solve it you die immediately and then you just kind of respawn in the same room and you know try to solve the puzzle but most of them so far have been more about wits and less about reflex actions like you just kind of have to figure out what to do um but i haven't played it enough to to like really be say it's like one way or the other
1: okay okay Well, good to know. Um, I, I recall this one getting kind of a middling response when it came out. Um, and you know, I haven't gotten to it yet. I probably, I mean, honestly, I probably will never play it even though I bought it, but, um, if you get further, let us know how it goes. Cause uh, I'm always, uh, I like this, this style of game when it's done well, but what you're describing isn't really getting me too fired up for it. So, uh, well, let us know if you keep getting further.
0: I will. I, I mean, I'll probably maybe put it you know, try it maybe like one or two more times. But I mean, from the beginning, it hasn't really like super hooked me. It's just kind of one of those games that, you know, I feel like the game is just being like, hey, we're smarter than you and you're going to die a bunch because of it.
1: And I'm not really
0: always down for that
1: kind of gaming experience. Same. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of ways that a developer can assert their superiority over the player. And none of those really end up being fun to experience. So if that's (laughs) the angle somebody takes, that's usually an out ski for me too. So yeah, I hear you. I hear you. You've been, okay. No, you (laughs) have been playing.
0: We were talking about, uh, uninvited or the uninvited on Twitter the other day and I, I didn't know that it was part of this thing, this 8-bit adventure anthology. I don't even know what this is. So I want to know about this because I used to play whenever I had an NES. I don't remember how I had it or if, like, I rented it or if, like, a friend had it. But I used to play a game called The Uninvited, and it was, like, kind of like a first-person Um, adventure game, almost text-based adventure game. And I remember it scaring me a lot. And there's like a part in the beginning where you have to like drive a car and sometimes the car can catch on fire. And sometimes if you get to a house, there can be like a ghost or like a skeleton or something in the house. And every time I go to a store that has NES games in stock, I look for this game, even though I know I will never find it and I have never found it. But I am shocked to hear that it is a thing that has been brought back in a way. So tell me about... This whole anthology business.
1: Yes, yes, yes. You are absolutely on the money. Uh, So this is called the 8-Bit Adventure Anthology. It came out, I want to say, two months ago. Uh, It is a collection of three games. It is Shadowgate, The Uninvited, and Deja Vu. So anybody who is old enough to have played these on NES, I'm sure has played at least one of these or has at least heard of them because they were very well-known back in the day, uh, because they were like basically the first adventure, like point and click adventure style games to be on the NES. And they were very, very well-known at the time, very popular, Uh, especially Shadowgate. I mean, I think that one, uh, everybody from that era knows about Shadowgate. It's been remade, I think, once. It's been released a few times. Um, But these are pixel-perfect recreations of these three NES games, these three NES point and click adventure games. Shadowgate is about uh, somebody who has to go into this castle and stop an evil wizard from resurrecting a demon. Uh, The uninvited is just like you said, you uh, start off in a car that had an accident and then you wander into this haunted house and you've got to find your lost sister. And Deja Vu is where you are a detective and there is a mystery to solve. And so you've got to go around and talk to people and find um, clues, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So I played all of these back in the day. Uh, I think my review is up on Game Critics and I looked the dates up for my review. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I think Shadowgate came out when I was like 13 or 12. So it's been like, I don't know, like what, 25 years or something like that. (laughs) So these games have been around for a while. Uh, I, 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 I wanted to review this and check it out again, even though I've already played them, because I mean, number one, nostalgia, fond memories of playing these. I thought they were so cool and so fun back in the day. Uh, But also, I was really curious to see if they would hold up. And so I got my eight year old uh, and I sat him down and I'm like, all right, bro. Um, And he has never played an adventure game of this style ever. He's never played a point and click game. He's never played anything like that. So this was totally like foreign to him. And I'm like, this is something that your dad played back in the day and I had a good time with this. Uh, Maybe it's too old timey for you. I don't know. We'll see. So I sat him down and he had like no idea what to do. He's like, what am I doing? What's going on? Because the screen is like, there's a picture of the screen, uh, of of a scene that you're in, of a room. There's a bunch of menu options on the screen, like look, take, move, hit, you know, like little basic uh, functions. And then you move this little cursor around the screen. And he was like, what's going on? Like, how is this even a game? And so once I explained it to him, he finally, you know, he got it. He's like, oh, okay, okay. He He clicked into it pretty quick. And he totally got sucked into these, dude, like hardcore. Like, I mean, the graphics absolute nes super basic blocky pixely graphics the music is just like the you know the chiptune stuff from back then interface is real clunky a lot of the logic is real clunky uh very difficult because you die all the time with no real warning and there's a lot of like uh try and die where you just have to try things over and over and over to figure it out but he really enjoyed these a lot he got into them he likes the uninvited most of all because he's really more of a scary ghost story kind of guy but he really dug these a lot. So I it was cool to me to be able to share this little bit of my past with him and also to see that even though these games are nowhere near, uh, you know, the modern state of the art, I mean, they look ancient, you know, they control ancient, but he was able to find the goodness in these games and to find the fun. And it was really awesome to sit with him and just kind of go through room by room and just figure it all out. I mean, uh, caveat, uh, you definitely need an FAQ to play these because uh, I don't think the average person would be able to make these leaps of logic that you have to do in order to figure things out. I mean, unless you want to die like a bazillion times. Uh, But some of the stuff you have to do is really arcane and bizarre. Um, I cut it some slack because this is from back in the day before people really knew how to make a really good adventure game. And to be perfectly fucking honest, I think a lot of adventure games are bullshit anyway. (laughs) Um, So get an FAQ, like don't torture yourself. Don't try to figure it out because that's not really the fun. The fun is like just seeing how old it looks and how kooky it is and all the weird things that you do and all the interesting ways to die and the, the funny things that happen as you're going through. Uh, some of the writing is actually kind of funny too. So definitely like a museum piece, a little bit of archaeology going on here. But interesting and fun. And the best part of all is I think all three of these games are sold together. I want to say it's eight bucks for all three, which I think is a really good price. Um, I mean, you're getting the NES games pixel perfect. Uh, there's no other stuff. Unfortunately, there's no like, uh, art gallery or there's no history or, you know, the backstory of these games or developer interviews, like none of that stuff, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, but still, I mean, eight bucks for these three super classic NES games, I think is a pretty good deal. So we had a good time. Um, we're still kind of working our way through them, but it's really, really fun. And, uh, yeah, I would recommend it for parents sitting with their kids, or if you just want to take a trip down memory lane, I think these really fit the bill. I need to.
0: I'm going to keep my mm-hmm. eye on these because I'm interested in knowing if I would be capable of playing these now or just really the uninvited because that's the only one I'm like super interested in because that's the only one I have a connection with in the past. Um, because I don't know if I can like logistically do this kind of adventure game at this point in my life. Like, I'm sure I can, but I feel like I might be too. I might get too frustrated with it too quickly because I wouldn't want to figure out. I, it would be too difficult for me to figure out what to do, and I wouldn't want to be the kind of person that would want to like look up a bunch of guides online and figure out what I have to do. I would just get frustrated and stop. But I mean, if the price is right, then I would like to test these again.
1: I guarantee you will not be able to play these. They are too hard and too <laughs> weird. There's 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 no way. There's literally no way. So don't even don't even try. When you see it on sale, grab it get an FAQ. And every time you get stuck, just immediately go to the FAQ, like play as much as you can and you'll figure out some of it for sure. But just go to the FAQ because I think it's worth it just to like, just to play it again, just for the experience of seeing it again. But do not, do not think you're going to play this and actually legit play it. No fucking way. No way. So there we go. Um, I just want to give another quick word to something else I've been playing. Uh, Okay. Well, I, something I played and then put aside and got rid of real quick. Oh, no. Yeah. The Dear God on Switch. We got sent a code for this. We've reviewed it, I think, fucking like twice at Game Critics. This game keeps getting released on every fucking system. And it looks interesting to me, um, but it's not interesting and it's not really a good game.
0: Oh, no. Uh,
1: yeah. Basically, it's an indie game, 2D side scrolling, where you play as a... Okay. So like, okay, let me back up you're playing let me back up back it up can you can you back up and say the name of the game first it is the deer god (laughs) d-e-e-r like the animal the deer god it is on literally every platform known to man gets ported to everything uh very simple game it's a 2d action platformer where you play as a deer but there's kind of a story to it sort of um the game is not very good at explaining its story it's really poorly told what happens is in the very beginning you're uh, a hunter. You're in the woods drinking beer with your redneck buddies. It shows you taking aim at a deer in the woods like you're about to shoot it and then the screen goes black and you wake up and you are a deer. <laughs> and there is like this giant deer spirit and it says, "Uh hey, uh BT Dubs, you're a deer. Uh go do deer shit. Bye." And that's basically how the game starts. And I'm like, (laughs) why? I mean, I didn't actually shoot the deer. I don't know what my goal as a deer is. What am I? What? What? So I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll just roll with this. Um, And I like the idea of being a deer. Being a deer and leaping and running through the forest is kind of appealing to me. I don't know. That seems like a fun thing to do. But this game gets off on the wrong foot and it just continues to stumble over itself. I bailed on it really quick. I mean, to give you an example... Right after you become the deer, you wake up in the forest, you don't know what's going on. You meet this other deer and he's like, oh, hey, you're the transhuman that everyone was talking about here. I am the elder of agility and I will grant you the double jump ability. Go have fun. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So number one, transhuman, really? Like, okay. Okay. Uh, also, you needed to grant me the ability to double jump. It's like literally the first minute of the game. I could have just had the double jump, you know, like you didn't need to like have some other elder deer comment on my biological status and then like give me a power. I mean, how stupid is that that you're a deer and you get a power? Like it, 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 ah, it just didn't make any <laughs> sense. So it got off on the wrong foot. You, you start walking through the forest and then it, like it doesn't explain anything. Like it, it tells you nothing. You eventually meet this guy who's like, oh, hey. I lost some shit in the woods. Can you go find it for me? And I'm like, well, I'm a deer and you're a human and you're talking to me. Also, I'm doing a quest for you. Why the fuck am I doing a quest for you? And it just it just stumbles along. Like, it's not really well thought out. It's not really, it doesn't make sense. It seemed like a good premise because I think just being a deer in the woods is interesting, but man, it's just uh, not good. And I got to say, um, the art style is really poor because in still pictures, it looks nice. Like the pixel work looks pretty nice. But when you're playing it, the foreground and the background blend into each other way too much. And so you can never tell, is this something in the background or is it a platform I can jump on? Is this a spike that's going to hurt me? Or is this decoration? Is this a place that I can go? Or is this a barrier? Like you never can tell what's going on and you get hit by stuff and you're not really sure like why? And I just like, oh, uh, the whole thing just like really just didn't come together at all. It got, it just left a really bad taste in my mouth from square one. And I bailed on it like after about like I don't know maybe half hour, forty five minutes. Um, I was curious because I've seen it ported so many fucking times, and it just seemed like a cool idea. But wow, I just I, I perfect example of a good idea gone wrong. And I really it just it, it turned me so cold right away. So do not recommend the dear god. I deleted it off my Switch like after forty five minutes. I'm never coming back to it. So I do not recommend. Avoid. Avoid. Um, this game sounds amazing, so I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, either. God. I am the double-jumping transhuman, and I am the elder agility. I grant you my double-jump. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Have you ever played a game? Have you ever read a book? Have you... Oh, jeez, yeah. Bad writing, bad, bad writing. Anyway, uh, Corey, you, sir... So I told you I bought Resident Evil 7, right? Yes, but you're too much of a baby to play it. But I took, I, 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 I made some progress, Took it out of my uh, stack in the back room and I brought it into the living room. So it's in the living room now. It's on my it's on my desk. That's it. That's as far as I got. So progress.
0: So by by next week's show you will have installed it on your PlayStation and then maybe on the week after you will have like put the start menu up. Let's <laughs> let
1: don't rush me, bro. Don't rush me. You're moving a little fast. We'll see what happens. But I just wanted you to know I took a step. But you, sir, you dove right in. You love this game. You've been playing this game. You've been playing the DLC. Tell us all about it, sir. This is true. I I totally this was
0: such a pleasant surprise because I actually forgot that this DLC came out and I like this is so you have Resident Evil Seven and then you have There's been a few DLCs that have come out that had Banned Footage Volume One and Banned Footage Volume Two. And both of those DLCs include like kind of like a silly mini game and then like a I think like a short um like chapter, like story chapter, really short story chapter, or maybe it's like too many games in a story chapter, something like that. I only have one of them. I have Band Footage Volume Two, I think, which I discussed on the show a while back, and and then they released their second round of DLC. One of them is called Not a Hero, which is a free uh, story only chapter. There's no like extra, you know, mini games or anything. And then they released uh, End of Zoe, which is a paid story. DLC. So I'm assuming that one's like pretty substantial. I have not purchased End of Zoe because I uh, don't feel like buying it. I'll wait until it goes on sale or something. But of course, I downloaded Not a Hero because it was free. I forgot that it came out, and then I remembered it came out, and I played it, and it was uh, it, it was good. It was like a pleasant surprise, like forgetting you know, forgetting that you have something, and then you can you can play it. And basically, this DLC picks up right where. The story from Resident Evil 7 leaves off. So, I'm going to talk, I'm going to try to talk about this in a non spoilery way, but it's going to be kind of hard because it's like, kind of like Resident Evil 7 ends, and this is like totally picks right up. And it stars, you don't play as the same person that you play as in the story of Resident Evil 7, you play as somebody who comes in at the end. And basically, it's kind of, like, just more Resident Evil 7, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, because I like Resident Evil 7, but like I've said before, I think the story in Resident Evil 7 is pretty lame. Um, but this DLC is basically just, like, you playing as a new character, exploring kind of, like, this underground cave scenario. Like, it, it has a, a couple of the same areas that you play as at the end, toward the end of, the, of Resident Evil 7 proper, And one of the characters in the game who's kind of a villain character, his whole spiel is that he brings kind of like a like a saw element to the game where he kind of sets up these like trap rooms and these like death like torture rooms and you have to navigate them and sort of like solve the puzzles in them or else you die. And usually you die in pretty horrible ways. And so it brings that element back into it, where you have like kind of like an underground cavern, kind of like trap room scenario. But there's like three legs of it, and and once you solve all of that, you get to another position, uh, another place, and it introduces a new enemy type that requires a certain kind of ammo to kill. But long story short, um, the DLC is pretty good. It's not like mind blowing or amazing, and it's only like takes about an hour and a half to two hours to finish. Um, But it's good enough, and I applaud... One thing I applaud about this DLC is that the character you play as is significantly better equipped from the get-go than the main character of Resident Evil 7, because he has a pistol that's pretty powerful, and he has, like, an automatic shotgun, which is also, as you might imagine, pretty powerful, and he has a combat knife that is... A lot easier to use than the little pocket knife that the than Ethan who's the main character of Resident Evil 7 has but what, what I like about this DLC is that despite the fact that you are a like kind of like beefier character with better guns it still manages to be kind of scary and kind of like the enemies move in a way where having a, an automatic shotgun doesn't doesn't make you feel overpowered and doesn't make you feel like a ridiculous hero that just comes in and, like, you know, slaughters everybody and leaves. And that's just something that I applaud about it. It's not easy to, I guess, to balance that, to have a, a pretty big uh, inventory and also still be scared. And it's not like, I mean, I wasn't like shaking in my boots, scared or anything at this DLC, but it's just like, like something that I really like about Resident Evil 7 and about this DLC is that the the weight of the guns feels super substantial and it's one of those games where like the enemies move in a way that you have to aim pretty carefully in order to shoot them or else you're not going to do very much damage you're going to miss them entirely and so like i will be aiming the gun i'll be trying to time my aiming correctly and it's one of those games where every time i shoot a bullet I, like, physically flinch in real life. Like, my hands twitch and, like, my muscles tighten up because it's such... Like, like getting those shots is so important, and the weight of the guns feels substantial enough for it to have that effect on me. And I really appreciate that in a game instead of something that's just, like, you feel like you're shooting, like, a little BB gun the entire game. So, I mean... I don't want to say much more because uh, I'm sure there are people listening who have not played Resident Evil 7, and much like you, I don't want to spoil any of this for you, but it's a free DLC. It's good. It's not very long, and it, uh, it continues the story and kind of wraps up a few things that I was initially very slightly irritated with at the end of Resident Evil 7, so it's kind of nice that the DLC just kind of like ties a little bit more of a bow on it.
1: Right on, right on. Just one quick question before I move on. So speaking about the guns and the weight and stuff, I mean, uh, so I know that you are pretty comfortable with guns or pretty knowledgeable about guns, or at least you know a lot more than I do. You're more of a shooter than I am. Would you say that they really, like, nailed, like, the feeling of, like, actually shooting a real gun in this? Is that why that you flinched or that's why you're having that reaction? Is it pretty, pretty authentic? Uh, I mean, it's pretty authentic,
0: but I think... Uh, I mean, because a lot of games are pretty authentic in the way that guns, like, mechanically move. But I think part of it here is also, um, you know, the sound effect that the guns make. Like, the guns just sound nice in this game. And they also, just the fact that your shots really count because you don't have as much ammo. You're not, like, loaded up with, you know, 150 bullets. So you really have to, like... It's more for me about the intensity of having to aim carefully and knowing that every shot counts that makes me sort of like flinch whenever I shoot the guns and a little bit of the added weight of like the guns feeling big and feeling powerful and having good sound effects. But I mean, I've played other games that where I've had similar reactions to, you know, having the guns feel uh, like like substantial and feel like they have a lot of weight to them. But I think the fact that this is kind of survival horror and every shot counts uh, lends itself very well to that experience.
1: Okay. Right on. Sounds good. I mean, there is a quite a bit of DLC available and this sounds like a pretty good one to play through. I, I will someday crack this and we will have a good talk (laughs) about this. Um, hopefully this year, we'll see, uh, that disc is slowly making its way towards my PS4, but we'll see. Um, something, I think the last big thing, we have a few odds and ends that I I was going to bring up real quick before we wrap the show, but one last game I want to talk about hidden agenda. Have you heard of hidden (laughs) agenda, Corey?
0: This is the um. This is like the choose your own adventure game. That's the the same people that made um.
1: Oh my until god! Dawn. Until, until dawn. Until
0: dawn, which I hated, and everybody else loved. So I a hidden agenda was not really on my radar because I did not think until dawn was a very good game. Um, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it because I will probably never play it, and I'm not really that interested in it. But I also know it's like it's different than Until Dawn, like it's mechanics, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so this is one of the premier PlayLink games, which is Sony's new push to get people to get together for social gaming, like on Friday night with your bros and your friends and have a party, have some drinks. Play this game that's really approachable because everybody can play it on their phone when you download the PlayLink app. Uh, unfortunately, Sony is not really like talking about PlayLink. They're not really <laughs> hyping it at all. They mentioned it once at E3, and there's been a bunch of games that have come out to use it, but nobody really knows about it. Uh, it looks like another one of those classic Sony things where they introduce an idea and then let it just, you know, die on the vine. Um, What's Sony doing that? How dare know, you accuse know, them of doing that? I know. Never, never before <laughs> have they done this. So unusual for Sony. Uh, or it's what they do every fucking time. <laughs> So my wife and I downloaded the PlayLink app, which just took a second uh, to our phones. Uh, basically, it just consists of, uh, so it's kind of weird. Instead of being one PlayLink app that goes to many games, it seems like what they're gonna be doing is there's gonna be one PlayLink app for each game that is specifically tailored to that game. So in, in this game, it had uh, a little screen on your phone that you can move your finger around to like act as a cursor on screen there was also, you know, like a pause button. There was also a button where you could look for um, biographies and text data in case you wanted to pause the game and read up a little bit about the characters that you're playing. So it seemed like this app was kind of tailored to this game specifically. I would imagine that you would probably have to download like the other play link game if you were going to play a different one. Like I think there's one for Planet of the Apes, which looks really interesting. Um, there's a couple other PlayLink play link games. So I, I, it's weird they did that, but I guess that's how it's working. So anyway, We downloaded um, the app and then we started up the game. Like you said, this is by the same guys who did Until Dawn. I did not think Until Dawn was a good game at all, but I did think it was interesting and fun because I played it on the couch with my wife and the two of us were kind of like doing the Mystery Science Theater 3000 sort of thing. Or we were (laughs) like voting about who was going to do what or when people died, we would talk about it. So like the social aspect made it fun. I don't think it was a good game, but that part made it fun. So I wanted to, like, replicate that experience. And that's kind of the whole point of Hidden Agenda. This is a story about a... a it's hard, tough to even say what it's even about because it's really, it's really poorly done. It's really oh, bad. No. It's really bad. Um, it's about a woman who is a detective. Uh, and these are all played by real actors. You can kind of... Just like they did in Until Dawn where you could recognize who the actual actor was, which is kind of weird. They do the same thing here where... Uh, different cast. But if you know the shows where these people are from, you will recognize who these people actually are in real life, which is, again, real weird. But it's a bunch of detectives who are going after a serial killer who's been, like, terrorizing a town. And, you know, twists and turns and this and that happens. But basically, you're like a detective. And so there's a number of different ways that this game plays out. In cooperative mode, which is what me and my wife played, you're basically just watching the story and you don't really do anything until you get to a choice and then you can just you know pause and make the choice. Do you want to cooperate with this person? Do you not want to cooperate? Do you want to be friendly to this person or do you want to be aggressive to this person? Uh, also, once in a while there are some QTEs that you can do, and every once in a while, it'll show you like a screen of like stuff, and you're supposed to like move your cursor around and find clues on this screen. Um, it'll be like a room full of garbage and you're like, oh, you got to find the handcuffs, find the keys and find the piece of paper. And so you kind of like move your cursor around on the screen and whoever finds it, finds it. Um, that's fine. There's also some other mechanics when you play it competitively. And this part doesn't really come into the game that we played at all. But like, if you play it competitively, apparently the game gives each player secret objectives, which is, I guess, why they call it hidden agenda. So like, maybe one, per- like, it seems like you're working together, but maybe one person will be like, you need to be aggressive no matter what. Whereas the other person will be, you need to be friendly no matter what. And so you don't really know like what each person's secret objective is. And so sometimes it has you like working against your teammate to see who's going to win when it comes to making choices and stuff like that. Um, We're not, we're not up for competitive. We don't like to do that. We like co-op is is how we swing. And so we did co-op. So that, that whole aspect of the game did not come through for us at all. So we didn't interact with that. So basically it just boils down to watching a bunch of scenes, you make a choice once in a while, you do a QTE once in a while, you find clues once in a while. Pretty passive for the most part, but that's fine because if you're sitting around on a couch with friends, you know, you don't want to be too into it. I mean, you want to have a few minutes. You can grab a drink or you can eat a snack and you can bullshit a little bit. And it's kind of, you know, the thing is kind of going as you're, as you're sitting there on a couch, which is fine. But the problem is like, it was just so poorly written. It was just really, really poorly written the characters were really not likable um some of the basic structure of the story did not make any sense from the get go a lot of the things that happened were just really stretching believability as the game went on my wife and i were just like that doesn't make any sense that doesn't make any sense why are we doing this what's going on this doesn't this is dumb like i mean neither one of us is a professional crime story writer so i'm not going to say like we're the experts at this but even from our layman perspective, we were like, this is a really, really poorly told story. And depending on the choices you make, you may see certain scenes or you may not. And I guess some of those must bridge the gap better than other ones do, because there was a lot of gaps in this story. A lot of stuff that just didn't come together. A lot of stuff that didn't make sense. And a lot of the performances are just like laughably bad, like really bad, where you just can't take them seriously, like at all. So we ended up kind of like just checking out about halfway through, but it's a pretty short experience. I mean, you can finish the whole thing in about two hours. Like they designed it so that when you have friends over, you can, you know, have pizza and have a beer and be done like on Friday night. Like you don't need to have everybody come back again the next week to finish it. So it's a pretty short experience, which is great. But wow, like it just, it just didn't come together. The, the characters were not great. The story was not great. I, I got to say, this is one experience where it really could have benefited from a longer time to like let things gel but at the same time, the writing was so bad, I'm not sure that it would have been better. It might have just been more of badness. So <laughs> really disappointing experience. Really did not like it. It's a really poor showing for PlayLink. Um, if this is what I would... I mean, if, if this was my first experience with PlayLink and I didn't know anything else, I would be like, oh God, this is garbage. And I would like bail from it like really hard. So um, they need to get a better quality of software for the PlayLink. Although that's, you know, knowing Sony, that's probably not going to happen. But uh <clears throat> Hidden agenda is awful. It's pretty awful. Don't recommend it. It's, it's much worse than until dawn. So if you didn't like until dawn, I cannot imagine you would find anything of value in hidden agenda at all. And it wasn't even fun as a, as a partner's experience. It was just bad all the way around. Do not recommend. Hmm. I will, uh, this
0: game was not really on my radar before and it is definitely not now. So thank you for your warning.
1: You, yes, consider yourself warned, stay away. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's real bad, real bad. So a couple of odds <laughs> and ends. This That's kind of the end of the scripted sh- stuff. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up before I jump to the odds and ends, Corey?
0: No, but I'm interested to see what you want to talk about because you have not warned me about this.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I, my brain was just really like not uh, on task today, which for reasons which we will talk about in the, in the banter at the end of the show. Uh, but as we were going through, I'm like, oh, I forgot this and I forgot this and I forgot this and I forgot this. We're going to skip Weekly Warframe this week. I did have some stuff to talk about, but we'll skip that for next week uh the nintendo direct just came out a couple uh, a couple days ago maybe a week ago did you see the nintendo direct did you catch anything about it
0: i did not because i'm not really i mean i don't have to say it for the thousandth time i'm not really that big into nintendo but the one thing i did hear about or let me why don't you guess the one thing that i've heard about so much that i don't care about at all
1: Uh, is it the dark souls remaster fucking dark souls
0: oh my god yes (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what I wanted to talk about but maybe not for the reason you're thinking. So um I, so okay, so Nintendo Direct came and they announced a bunch of shit. To be perfectly honest with you, I didn't care about anything they talked about. I was like none of these games are appealing to me at all except for the Dark Souls remaster, but uh not not because I'm like Mr. Dark Souls or I I want to get back in that in that zone, but my Dark Souls number 1 is the only Souls game that my wife hasn't played. She's played uh, Demon Souls. She's played Dark Souls 2. She played Bloodborne, and she liked and finished all of them. She's really great at these games. She likes them a lot. So I was really excited for her to be able to play this one because it's the, the only one that she's never had a chance to go through. And I got to say, like watching her go through these games, I'll sit on the couch next to her. It's really fun just to watch her play through these and just see the different choices she makes and how she goes about things. Really interesting, really informative. I really dig it. So I'm excited for her to get the chance to play through this game. So that's good, and to be honest, uh, people often tell me that the DLC for Dark Souls is one of the best parts of Souls overall. I don't know if that's true because I never got a chance to play it. Um, so this might be my chance to play it. Uh, possibly, we'll see. So on that note, I'm excited that it's going to be coming out finally because um, I'm really looking forward to like making a cup of coffee and sitting with my wife and watching her play. The downside, which is, I think, where you're at right now, is I totally don't want to hear people talk about Dark Souls anymore, ever again, at all. And I'm like, I'm already getting, like, pre-tired of people talking about it. The day that they announced this, it was all over my Twitter feed, and I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Do we really <laughs> got to fucking talk about how this is the best game of all time again? We never shut up about it for the last fucking five years. I'm sure it's, I mean, it's a great game, but I won't talk about it anymore. Enough! So is that is that where you're, is that where you're at on this, Corey?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I get it. Like, I know people love these games, and I've tried some of them. I tried Demon's Souls. I tried, I think, Dark Souls 2, and I tried Bloodborne. And I've come to terms with the fact that these, these are just not my kinds of games. I don't have the patience for them. I don't have the determination for them. I don't have the free time for them and and that's fine and if people like these games like i get it a lot of people love them you know i'm glad that people can find something they love but what i don't like is people using these games as dick measuring contests to like declare that they're like better at video games than everybody else because so many dark souls uh conversations revolve around oh, well, I beat this boss and I was on my third playthrough. And like, I guess the thing about Dark Souls is like it gets harder on every playthrough. So it's like, oh, well, oh, well, you did that. Well, I beat this other boss in this time limit on this playthrough. And I'm just like, I'm just tired of hearing about it. Like those conversations did not stimulate me in any way. And I, I, it's like, it's just like right when you think, it's going to go away. Like, there it is. It comes right back. It's like herpes or something.
1: Yeah, that part is really tiresome. And the, the part that really gets me even more than that, though, is uh, I really get tired. I mean, I get that people love this game. That's fine. I understand. I've played it. I finished it. I know why people like it. I get it. I'm a fan of the series in general. I am not a hater, right? But like, this is not a perfect game. And it really fucking gets under my skin in a big way when I hear people talk about it. Like, this is the perfect game. Like, there's no criticism of this game. Everything about it is so fucking brilliant. Everything is so great. The story is so great. Every single thing, every, every area is the best. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, okay, I like this game. It's fine. It's not my favorite in the series. I get why people like it. But just hearing that, like, devotion, like, the reverence, like, anytime you criticize <laughs> it, like, the, the defense force comes out. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, let's let's love this game. Let's love this game. Let's cherish this game. It undoubtedly has a place in the industry, a place of honor, but let's not pretend like this is a perfect game. Let's not pretend that every single thing in this game is peerless. Let's not pretend that every single thing in this is without reproach. There are things that can be fixed. There are things that can be better. It is not perfect. And it just it really fucking bugs me when those people come out and they will not tolerate even one word against this game. And that just, that's the part that fucking gets me where I'm just like, I really, really, really annoys me to no fucking end. And this game, more than any other game in recent memory, has that like, oh my God, don't you dare say anything about Dark Souls. And I just, Ugh. so I don't want to go there again. We we just got through that period. Like, I feel like the last five years has been that period. And I'm, I'm glad that we're finally moving away from it. Um, so I'm glad to see the game come back because I want to watch my wife play it, but I seriously don't want to engage any more discussions. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want that fan base to come roaring back. So uh, positive and negative, up and down. Um. Yeah, not. uh, Yeah. So other than that, other than that, nothing else in the Nintendo Direct really perked me up. I mean, I assume probably the same for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, I haven't really looked into it enough to see really what all else was, um, I guess, disclosed at it, just because I'm pretty far out of the loop of like what's going on with Nintendo, because I don't have a Switch. Um, I rarely play the 3DS in the house. And I mean, you know, I've said it a bunch of times, I'm just not really interested in Nintendo or their first party uh franchises but I I am sticking to my guns on saying especially now that I have a job and now that I'm going to be making money like a Nintendo Switch is something that I want to buy like in the near future as maybe like uh oh I've been working for a month or something like let me kind of congratulate myself after I get a few paychecks and you know spend a little money on a Switch because I do I do want a Switch even if it's just for the indie games and you know some third-party games that you know, I'm just interested in seeing how they run or maybe playing them on the go or playing them at the office or something. Um, I'm just not interested really in any of the first party stuff.
1: Yeah. We're on the same page. It's It's worth getting a switch. I think switch is great, but yeah, we're on the same page. It's not for, not for the Nintendo stuff or for the other stuff. Still worth it. So, um, yes. Uh, one final note real quick. I just wanted to give a shout out to a super fan of the show and frequent commenter, Jeroen. Uh, He actually sent us a list of questions um, a while ago, but he sent them like right before we got on that jag of like our little, um, you know, the Game of the Year show. And then we skipped one and then the banter show. So we actually haven't gotten to Jeroen's questions yet. And I feel bad that we haven't gotten to them yet. But Jeroen, I know you're listening. Um, We do have your questions. I will try to we'll try to talk about it maybe in the next episode, possibly. I apologize. I forgot to put them in the script for this uh, this time around. That was my bad. Uh, But we will get to him next time. So, Jerun, we did not forget about you. Um, Yes. So we'll we'll get to him. So uh, that was all I had, Corey. Any other odds and ends from you? I don't think so. I um,
0: said my piece on my games, and uh, I think I'm ready to wrap, if you are.
1: Uh, My wife is telling me that she is hungry, and she's telling (laughs) me to get the fuck off the computer. So let's wrap it up.
0: All right. Well, 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 well. Uh, That brings us to the end of this show. Uh, End of episode 65. Uh, Remember, if you stick around after the ending music, uh, you'll hear tonight's banter, uh, hear me and Brad talk about some random stuff, Brad being tired, me uh, working for the first time and forever. Um, But in the meantime, remember that if you want, uh, much like Jerune, you can send us uh, questions, you can send us comments, feedback, uh, any show ideas, uh, games you want us to talk about, anything like that, we can be reached at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com you can also comment on the page on game critics the show goes up on the podcast page uh, you can also reach us on twitter uh, collectively we are on twitter at So Video Games. and last but not least you can reach us individually brad would you like to give out your twitter handle
1: Sure, it is my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's, not a single goddamn (laughs) O in my name, not one, not even one.
0: (laughs) And that's okay, because I make up for the O's in my name, because I have two. My name is Corey Motley, my Twitter handle is C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. So if you'd like to reach either of us, uh, we just gave you a plethora of ways to do that. But until next time, uh, this is going to wrap episode 65. That's the end of another show. And we will be back next week with another installment.
1: So this is bye from Corey. And this is bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. I gotta tell you, man. Okay, so number number one feels weird to come back after missed a show, and then we did like the banter show, and then we did the year game of the year show. We've been—I mean, dude—I didn't realize how much a creature of habit I'm becoming in my old age. But dude, I I desperately crave like a regular schedule for like everything. (laughs) I never thought I would say that, but oh my god, all I want is just like boring regularity. And um, I I am—I gotta—I gotta be heads up, dude. I am fucking hazy today because, uh, I worked, uh, I went, I left work. I left the house at 8am yesterday. I got back home 7am the next day. Oh my so God. How do you I'm, do that? Yeah. Well, not well, I'm really <laughs> fucking tired. I'm really fucking tired right now and I'm drinking coffee and I'm like, I'm sitting here looking at the script and my brain is just like, Oh dude, I don't know what I'm going to do today's show. I got, I'm going to be like spacing out and it's going to be bad. Lots of tangents, I assume. So we'll see what happens. So if I uh, if I don't make any sense, if I am even more incoherent than I usually am, then <laughs> let's take a moment <laughs> and redirect and we'll see how it goes. Anyway, that's how I'm doing. How are you doing?
0: Uh, pretty good. I um I had my first like day of work today. Like I got I told you that I oh, got a right job on. right.
1: Congratulations! Yeah, do you tell me about it?
0: Yeah, so I had um uh orientation on Friday. They only do orientation on Fridays and. Um, so th- I did that on Friday, which was your basic, you know, like sit in a room, watch some slideshows, you know, listen to oh, some god, guest so speakers. Boring. Yeah, so boring. So boring. Um, and you know, and it's it's one of those things where like the whole time I was sitting there, I was just like, oh my god, this is so fucking boring. But at the same time, I was like, you know, I need to be thankful for the fact that I have a job, that these people actually wanted to hire me, so like I can manage sitting through this for a day, you know, so I can actually have a job, but today was like my first kind of like official day and it's weird because like you know like all my whole life uh, well most of the serious jobs I've had in my whole life have been um, like retail jobs you know I worked at TAR I've said it on the show a million times I've worked at uh, I worked at Target for 11 years, like, you know, from pushing carts and snowy parking lots up to, you know, having keys and a passcode to a that's, store. That's a long and... time,
1: dude. 11 yeah. years is like a really long time. Did you eventually get your own store? Did uh, I they didn't...
0: give you a store for being <laughs> there so <somewhere>? long? <laughs> no. I mean, I had, um, I, I ended up having keys and a passcode to a store, um, but I did not. I wasn't like a, a store team lead or anything. Uh, nowhere close okay, to wait, that. Okay, wait, wait,
1: wait. But... I got to ask you. I got to ask you. You had keys. You had the passcode. Uh-huh. Did you ever, like, just get, like, really drunk and show up at your own story like two o'clock in the morning and just like run down the aisles and like sing and like run around and jump on the, on the shelves and shit
0: okay i didn't well i did not do that because i'm pretty sure there's fail-safes built into like where if i would have done that it probably would have tripped some headquarters alarm somewhere because we hadn't like told them we were going to be doing an overnight or something but what might be even crazier is the fact that I used to work at 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning um, whenever I worked there because I was on the presentation team. And sometimes if we were doing really intense resets, like the cosmetics resets are the ones that were like uh, really time-consuming and really difficult and like really kind of, um, were like a puzzle, I would go in at 2 o'clock in the morning 100% sober so I could get a head start on the work. And then I would stay late. And then I would commit time clock fraud and say that I left when I was supposed to every time, but I would stay like two hours later and I would go in two hours early just so I could
1: like get my shit done at the store. Um, Oh dude, you were like a, like a store manager's wet dream. dude. Yeah. It comes in works hard and works for free. Jesus.
0: Yeah. It was, I mean, it, it was definitely stuff that I should not have done. Um, but it was like, stuff that I felt was necessary in order to get the job done thoroughly and, you know, correctly. And even then, even doing that, I was still struggling with the job. So, you know, I mean, but, you know, it is what it is. But the thing that I wanted to say about that is, like, um, you know, I did, like, a three-month temp job a a few years ago where I worked in an office setting. And, like, at this job, like, because I'm working at a university, like, I have my own office, which is for the first time ever, you know, that I've ever had my own office in a building. And it's weird because, like, in a retail situation, like, you know, it's, I mean, I'm getting paid hourly now in the position I'm in, but, like, in retail, it's hourly, and it's, like, in a retail situation, you're supposed to, like, get to the store, clock in, and then, like, work your fucking ass off every second of the day until you either clock out for lunch and clock back in, or you clock out for the day and leave, and it's so weird being in an office environment where it's, like, I go in and it's my first day and I'm like, oh, like what, you know, I don't really know what to do. I don't know how to do anything. Like, what am I supposed to do? And like, you know, the people in my department, like obviously care about training me and they all welcome me very well and they're very nice and they're very warm, but it's like weird being in an office environment where like your nose is not to the grindstone 100% of the day. Cause there were like pockets of today where I would just like sit at my desk and be like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, let me, like, configure my email signature because I don't have anything else to do. And it's just weird, like, you know, that that whole scenario, like, where you, when you work in retail, you get paid shit money and you work your fucking ass off. But then you move up to an office environment where you get paid more money and you, like, don't have to work your ass off as much. And it's just a weird thing for me because i'm so used to getting to a job and just like really working really hard all day every day and putting you know in the sweat and going home but at the office job it's just kind of like oh well you know we can hang out in the lobby for a few minutes and talk and oh there's some somebody brought some cake let's just hang out and eat some cake for a few (laughs) minutes like it's just like stuff like that and it's 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 just weird for me to like adjust to that kind of uh, environment oh yeah dude i hear
1: you i hear you yeah i mean i i I definitely understand that. I mean, I've done my share of shitty retail jobs. And even though my job is, uh, can be really challenging and taxing at times, there's definitely some downtime where I'm just checking email or something, or I'm just fucking off or whatever. So <laughs> it's great when you can get those jobs when you can find those jobs because not everybody has those jobs. I mean, I haven't always had those jobs. It sounds like this is your first taste of lounging and checking Twitter while you're eating cake. So that's, <laughs> that is definitely the kind of job that you should have, man. Those are good jobs. So <laughs> I hope this is going to work out for you, man
0: yeah I'm excited and I'm definitely um like I'm not mad about it it's just like I don't know it's just weird like I only saw my boss for about 10 seconds of today and like I only spent about an hour actually doing like real work and I'm only doing it part-time so I'm only there for like four hours a day you know give or take but I don't know it's just weird like I like it and now I have to think about things like do I want to decorate my office like do I want to like take some prints of my photography in and then like put it up in the office or bring like a lamp in, or, you know, just like stuff like that. <laughs> and it's just like, I mean, I'm not complaining because this is like kind of a good, it's a good space to be in. And I feel like I've hit that point in my life where like, you know, I, I, you know, I've been trying to get a job and applying to so many jobs for so long after moving to New Orleans that I feel like I kind of like caught my break, even though it is just like a part-time thing. But, um, it's just, it's just a weird, it's a completely separate scenario of like, a mindset that I have to be in that I've never been in before in a job. So it's, it's just, it's going to take some adjusting.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. I hear that. Well, you know, good. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, it's hard to say like in today's world, because today's world is so much different than the world of our parents or our grandparents and stuff. But I mean, if you can get a job like that where you're not like busting your fucking ass every day for pennies, then I mean, that's, that's definitely being ahead of the game. So yeah. And having an office, having a space or something and just being in a place where someone's not like yelling at you and micromanaging every fucking minute of your day. I mean, that's, you know, yeah, that is, that is good stuff. So I'm really glad really glad got for you, man. Uh, keep us posted on the new job. And once again, congratulations, my friend.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Um, what, what's, I mean, I know you've been working a lot lately, so maybe you don't have a whole lot to talk about, but what has been going on with you?
1: Fuck nothing, dude. Just work. <laughs> um, just working more work. Um, we're going to... My wife is uh, the home decorator. She loves to do little projects and stuff. And we're working on a new... We have a bunch of coffee mugs. We're big coffee drinkers in my house. And so we have a lot of mugs. And I mentioned earlier that I get mugs for Christmas or my birthday or whatever. It's my favorite thing to get. So we needed a new place to get them. So the wife went down to Home Depot and got a bunch of like wood and nails and supplies and stuff. And she's going to make a little um, a board to hang all of her coffee mugs on. And she's like, oh, you know... I want to decorate this, and I want to like make it look nice. What she's like, maybe I should put some letters on. Maybe we should say something on this little thing. <laughs> so if, if you can imagine in your head, it's like a big rectangle piece that goes on your wall, and it's kind of like a pegboard, like you know, like in um, I don't know, garages in the '70s where like you'd go into a garage and there'd be like, uh, or you'd see it on TV or something. You see like you know like a like all the tools hanging up off these little hooks in the wall, and like the drills hanging up there, and you know you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. this little pegboard. Thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So like. She's gonna do that, and then she's like, she spray painted the thing, and she's like, okay, so I got a bunch of letters and stencils and stuff, and she's like, what should we put on it? She's like, what about coffee? And I'm like, well, okay, yeah, coffee. I mean, I get it, coffee. Spray. I'm like, we could we could make that a little fancier. We should do something that says like the Galloways, like something that's just us. And so we thought about it for a while, and I'm like, I got it. Okay, so look at the look at the space. I move the letters around. All right, okay, What is it's gonna say? Motherfucking coffee. Oh <laughs> my god. Like, <laughs> And so we waited till my son came home, uh, and I'm like, "Hey, so this is what we're working on. What do you think, motherfucking coffee or just coffee?" He's like, "Motherfucking coffee." <laughs> so that's that's something goofy that we're working on. Um, other than that, dude, I haven't really been doing anything. I've been I've been working a lot and um, got a really big. Actually, you know something exciting. I can't really say a lot about it, but I got a really exciting um, contract coming up for the summer. It's like ninety nine percent locked down, which is totally different than what I'm doing now, uh, and I'm really really excited about that. I'll tell you more details as it um, as it comes, but it's kind of like a showbiz sort of thing. Ooh. I, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really neat. I like I like working with actors, and I like working like behind the scenes on stuff, and so it's pretty cool. I enjoy that a lot. I don't get to do it too often, but I have done it a few times, and there was a cool opportunity coming up. So I will share details once this thing gets locked down and once I'm. at at liberty to say, um, but other than that, dude, I have been doing, I have not been doing shit. So in fact, I'm actually kind of sleepy and confused because I was out for like 24 hours. Now this is the part of the show where we talk about TV and shit, right? Uh, yes. Okay. So I have, like, okay. So like, we, we had, like, these irregular shows for so long, and I have, like, so many fucking topics built up. Now, I know that we talked about before when I had a list of stuff that I wanted to talk about, and then I, I lost my notes because I <laughs> accidentally deleted it. No problem. I've, like, racked up so much other shit to talk about. Like, I don't even miss that other stuff. Um, God, you know, I was just... Uh... One thing I really want to talk about really quickly is on Netflix, there is a show. In fact, I, I don't think I mentioned it to you. Maybe I did. It's called uh, The Toys That Made Us. Did I mention this to you? Uh, no, you
0: haven't, but I've seen the little tile for it on Netflix, but I don't really know anything about the show.
1: Okay. Dude, the show is the best. Okay. So like, it's a documentary. It's an eight part documentary, but only the first four parts are up. And again, this is on Netflix. Uh, these people went to the toy manufacturers in America that were responsible for like some of the biggest toys of the last couple decades. So like, uh, one episode is all about star Wars toys One is all about G.I. Joe. One is about um, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And one is about Barbie. So those are the first four. And what they do is, like, a lot of those people are still alive. Like, they're all really old, like, the people who were working at those toy companies back then, um, Hasbro and Kenner and Mattel. Uh, But a lot of them are still alive. And a lot of the people who, like, did the art and the people who did the sculpting of the toys. And it sounds really kind of dumb or boring or maybe, like, you got to be, like, a, like a, a toy fan to really get into these. But it is, like, fucking fascinating. It is so interesting. Like, all these stories... Because, you know, being a kid or just going into a toy store, you're like, oh, I'm in a big store and here's all these cool toys that are here for me to buy. And this is just a thing that happens. And it's just these are always here in the store and you don't really think about where they come from or how they get there or, you know, who created them and stuff. And they have these interviews with these people. And oh, my God, it is like I can't imagine that anybody would not find this utterly fascinating, like all these stories about flying by the seat of your pants and, like, going to, like, a business presentation and you've got nothing ready and you're making something up literally, like, two minutes before you're talking to the big boss and then wheeling and dealing and having all these, like, legal battles behind the scenes and people are drinking and drugging and sexing and all this (laughs) crazy stuff going on. It's nuts. It's so fucking crazy. Like, I had no idea all this stuff was going on at the toy companies in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, Really, really fascinating. The personal stories are really, really just amazing. I mean, like, just really... Quick example, um, one of the guys that worked on uh, Barbie. So, I mean, one thing that's really fascinating is like, something I never knew was like, when Barbie was um, being created, a lot of the people responsible for making the Barbie doll and making the decisions and the marketing were all women, which is really amazing when you think about that time that was coming up 50s, 60s, 70s. Women were not, were not directors of anything, women were not, you know, leaders of departments, women were like secretaries and and the stenographer pool, and house, you know, housewives, but in this particular case, they had a shitload of women who were, like, doing the design, and doing, um, the marketing, and doing, like, all the different stuff that was, like, that were traditionally men's jobs, so I thought that part was really super fascinating, uh, and a lot of those women are still around, and oh my god, they are, like, a riot, they are just, like, (laughs) so cutthroat and sharp, and they were just, like, oh, we were going to sell a million Barbies, and we wanted to be the best in our department, it's really fascinating stuff, uh, but this other guy who was partially responsible for the creation of, I think he did like some of the joints on a Barbie. Like he was an engineer and he kind of figured out like how Barbie should move or something like that. <laughs> apparently he had gotten a really good deal where he was getting like a percentage of the sales. And at the time, he you know, I guess nobody knew like how big that was going to be. So apparently this dude became like super fucking rich and he like moved to Hollywood and he bought a house. He turned it into a castle. He built himself a sex dungeon and then he coked out. And totally lost his whole fortune, and like just this weird, bizarre story of like all this stuff that happened. So, this guy would be like whoring around Hollywood, being like, I, I invented Barbie's Elbow and I'm fucking rich, you know? And all this bizarre shit. Oh my God. So, anyway, there's like a thousand stories like that. I mean, just really, really, just crazy, crazy shit. So, the toys that made us on Netflix. I mean, if you like the toys, you're gonna get a lot more out of it. But even if you don't like the toys, just seeing how times were so different. And everything that was going on behind the scenes, I mean, it's just, oh, man, mind-blowing. Really, really great. We watched all four, like, in two days. Really excited for the next four, so hopefully that will not uh, take too long to hit Netflix. But, dude, total recommendation. That is fucking fascinating stuff. (laughs) I made Barbie's elbow, and I'm rich. (laughs) And I built a fucking sex dungeon, and I do cocaine every (laughs) single day. Like, oh, my God, it was nuts. It was nuts. Um, Let me talk about one other uh, show real quickly um the magicians we talked about this briefly on twitter the magicians is a show that i started watching i don't know why i think the wife wanted to watch it and we were kind of between shows so we were like oh let's let's start something new um Corey, have you seen the magicians i know you know about it because we talked about it on twitter for a second
0: i i know a little bit about it because <clears throat> zach and i had g chatted about it like a while back but i've never watched it
1: okay and that's uh lyrical vanity on twitter right? yes good friend lyrical vanity what up, dude? What up? Okay, so we started watching this. We're almost done with the first season. I I had heard about this, but I didn't really know anything about it. I heard people say it was good. That's like all I knew about it. And the wife, I guess somebody in her Twitter feed or on Instagram was talking about it. She's like, oh, we should give the shot uh, show a shot. So basically the premise is like, uh, so so what if magic was real? Like take the real world that we live in now, but then magic is just like a real thing, but not everybody can do it and not everybody knows about it. And if you are one of the people who has this ability to do magic, you can either like discover it yourself, or you will just somehow know that you are like a special person. Uh sometimes that manifests like you're really depressed and you have mental problems because you don't feel like you fit in with the rest of the world, or you can have all sorts of like weird you know, just you just like an odd duck, basically. Or you need you're looking for something that you can never find, or you just don't feel like you fit in, etc., etc. So it stars um this group of, I don't know, like young twenty-somethings, like uh, mid twenties people, and uh, they go to this like college. I mean, it's basically like Harry Potter, but like if everybody was like twenty-five instead of like eleven, you know. And twenty-five and like the sexiest people on the planet, right? I mean, I guess. I mean, I'm not. They're <laughs> not really my type. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I suppose if you swing that way, sure. I mean, that, everybody's that got was everybody. like
0: Zach's whole thing. Whenever I talked to him about it, is he was like everyone on the show is like the hottest person on the planet. That was like his thing, which is kind of I think what got him into it a little bit.
1: I mean, I could see that if if you like those kind of folks and I'm not, you know, I'm not dissing anybody's taste. Everybody <laughs> everybody got their own jam, right? But I mean, that's that's definitely not the appeal for me. I'm just like whatever, you guys. Nah. But um so we started watching it and it it's it takes a real long time to get going. Um not a lot happens. I mean, they kind of set up the world and I mean, that's valuable stuff, but as they go on, they're kind of discussing, like, what magic means, and um, they're, like, at the Harry Potter college, and they're kind of doing stuff, and it, it takes a while. I mean, interesting enough, because I'm, I'm kind of like the urban fantasy guy, like, I like that mishmash of fantasy and real world, or, like, you know, having a magical realism, where, like, everything is as you know it, except for, like, one tiny thing, which is special. I mean, I really like this kind of story, so that's why I was interested in this, but I gotta say, these people... I I find them to be really unlikable. Like everybody is just really just like arch and sad and bitter and cynical (laughs) and everybody like fucks each other, but they don't really like each other and everybody's really upset about everything. And they're just like really like angsty and shit. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like I just like I was looking at the wife and I'm like, are you liking this? She's like, no, are you liking this? I'm like, no, (laughs) no. So, but we're like, okay, we got to at least finish the season. We made it like halfway. And I'm like, we might as well see where this goes. And I knew that when um, we were talking about this on Twitter, um, Zach was saying, oh, you know, this is, it takes a while for the show to get going, hang in there. It'll get there. And I'm like, okay. I mean, it's not terrible, but I think right now we're up to like episode, maybe like nine out of 12 or 13. And it just now started to where I'm like, oh, okay. It's starting to kind of get interesting. And like, I don't know about you, dude, but like nine episodes is usually a lot more slack than I'm usually willing to give a show. Like usually I'm like one or two and nine is kind of a long way to go, but it finally is getting kind of interesting. The characters are finally starting to like humanize a little bit and just to be like less unlikable. Um, so we're hanging in there. It's interesting. I don't know that I would really recommend it. Maybe, maybe, um, after I finish the first season, I'll recap a little bit and see how I felt about it, but it was kind of a tough watch. I mean, not terrible, but it didn't really click. So um, I don't know. I don't know. I've, if people listening to the show are watching this or have seen it, I would love to get your guys' opinions and let me know what you think. I mean, is it really true? Is it going to get better as it go on? Um, you know, I don't know. Let me know what you think. And, I mean, apparently it's popular enough because they just started season three. So, I mean, you know, it must have some viewers. But there you go. The Magicians. Uh, yeah, kind of a weird show. I'll see where it's going. I, uh, speaking of TV shows, just finished. I... Um
0: This is so current and so new, but I just finished um, Star Trek The Next Generation on Netflix. The whole series? Yeah, I've been kind of watching it like in and out for a long time. And there's a lot of episodes I haven't seen. Like I didn't watch it from like top to bottom, Um, but Patrick and I had been watching Voyager and we finished Voyager and then we kind of went back to Next Generation and we were like halfway through the last season, so I officially have finished The next generation, and I'm not. I mean, I don't really watch a lot of TV as it is, but I'm off of Star Trek a little bit. Although uh, Discovery, the new series, just came back on two weeks ago, and it is very superb, and I'm liking it a lot. And I recommend that um, if people have not checked into Discovery yet.
1: Well, let's talk about this for a second because I am a Star Trek fan. Like, I'm not like a crazy fan. Like, I don't. I don't have like a Starfleet uniform or anything. I don't have Spock ears. Um, but I do enjoy the show. I mean, I've watched it, you know, off and on over the years. And when my um, oldest son came for the summer, I think it was two years ago, for some reason, we started watching like the original series, like with Kirk and Spock and all that. And we started with number one and I'm like, yeah, let's watch this. And I totally expected him to be like, oh, dad, oh my God, you know, <laughs> but he watched, he actually really liked it a lot. Even that very first episode, which does not have William Shatter and has like some other dude who was like Captain Pine or something like that, like the very, very first one. At certain points, I was like, oh, this is kind of boring. But he was really into it. we ended up watching quite a bit of the first season. But how did you find Next Generation after... I mean, because, you know, it's an older show or somewhat older. I'm sure a lot of that stuff is dated. I'm sure the effects are not as good. But, like, how did you... How did it strike you as modern-day Cory Motley?
0: Oh, I mean, I like it. I, I'm, I mean, I like Star Trek, and I have become you know, uh, sort of enamored with Star Trek in the past few years, which is something I never thought I would say about myself. Um, but it just like Patrick has always really liked Star Trek. So we just kind of like watch it, you know, kind of, you know, some peace here, some peace there. And, um, you know, we watched all of, um, like, uh, Deep Space Nine together and we watched all of Voyager together and we've watched most of uh, TNG together. I've seen some Enterprise, um, And now we're watching like the new one. I've only seen one episode of the original series because I feel like I know the original series is like a classic and, you know, it's what most people think of when they think of Star Trek, but it's so old and so dated that I really just kind of can't get on board with it. Um, But like The Next Generation, I think is really great because, I mean, yeah, it's like slightly dated and it's totally like 90s TV. um, But I mean, the thing that I like about Star Trek as a whole is that, I mean, it might sound cheesy to say this, but a lot of the episodes are like character episodes. You know, it's about uh, people on the crew or it's about the crew meeting a certain alien race or alien species and sort of like um, uh, not, you know, interfering with the alien species or maybe trying to learn about them or, you know... That
1: old prime directive, am I I right?
0: Yeah, like the prime directive, like they can't like... You know, like get up in a new species shit, or you know they can't like, <laughs> like I mean, you know what I mean. Like that, that's like the whole thing. And the prime—that's what I like about Voyager a lot—is that they talk about the prime directive a lot in Voyager, um, because they're like stranded on this far side of the galaxy trying to get home. That's like Voyager's whole thing. So they encounter all these species, and they have a lot of discussions about the prime directive. And um, but I I just like Star Trek because it's very like character focused, and even if you know, for maybe, like, the first season or, like, half of a first season, I kind of, like, don't like certain characters. Like, you come to, um, you know, you come to understand them, and even if, you know, you don't love every single character, they are more often than not, um, you know, consistent, consistently written. They act in a manner that you would expect them to act. Um, It's very rare that a Star Trek character will just, like, you know, go off the rails and do something crazy, but, um, I, I just like that even though it's like a sci-fi show, you know, and they're shooting phasers and, you know, they're teleporting and they have a, a machine that, you know, makes food on a plate right in front of them. Like they, you know, the episodes are very character focused and, um, you know, really like sci-fi in that way. With, it's, it's not just about like the technology in the spaceship. So, I mean, I'm totally <laughs> on board for for most of it.
1: Right on. I am am also on board. I really would like to um, watch, I kind of would like to watch the entire thing, like starting with the very first series and working on my way forward. I think I'm going to wait till my son, my youngest son is a little bit older because he's the one that lives with me and he's kind of getting into some of that stuff. Um, He's a little bit too young for it now, but I think probably pretty soon, maybe like another two or two or so years. And maybe we'll start with like, you know, just just go through it and just see it all. (laughs) So that's something that's on my, that's on my um, agenda. But I got to be honest, dude. I got to call bullshit on a lot of the shit that happens in Star Trek because let's, let's just, let's real talk, real talk, okay? If you had a fucking box that could give you any fucking food that you wanted by pushing a button or saying something, we'd all be like 8,000 pounds because it'd be like lobster, 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 lobster. And then like, you know, to work it off, you'd go in the fucking holiday and just have these crazy fucking orgies with all these weird AI, you know, sex bots and stuff. And you'd never leave. You'd like leave to get food. You'd You'd have like... Earl Grey hot and a bunch of lobster rolls. And you go back in the fucking holodeck and you'd fuck some more. And like, that's all your life would be. There would be no, there would be no exploring space. There would be no like, you know, saving the universe. You would just be like, so hedonistic and fat and bloated and like weird. And I don't know. I think humanity would implode if we had those things at our disposal.
0: I, I mean, I don't, I don't know to what extent um, they use like replicator technology in Star Trek. I'm sure, you know, people out there know but like the way i understand it is like they have replicator technology on the starships but um you know everybody on uh the starships like they you know they they're, they have serious work to do they worked very hard in the academy to get there um you know they they worked very hard to get chosen for certain starships and then you know they all have important jobs to do so like you know maybe in a sense like if there's replicator technology like on earth where people are like you know, just like working their nine to five or maybe not working at all. Because like the whole, like the other whole thing about Star Trek is that there's no money in the universe. Like it's all like money is not, is not a thing anymore. So people like barter sometimes, but generally like everybody has everything they need to survive. But I feel like the reason why it doesn't go that route that you're describing on the show is because like everybody has um, like jobs and very important things to do and like responsibilities on the ship and space. So they can't just like call into work and, you know, like, in the holodeck all the time and like eat all the time like like they have stuff to do. It's kind of like being in the military, like you know, like you have stuff to do or you get kicked out essentially. And you know, so that's that. I think.
1: Oh my god! I, that, I mean, if I if I had the holodeck when I was like sixteen, I wouldn't have left it for like two solid years, dude. It would have been it would have been pretty gross. The dude, come the holodeck janitor coming in after I was done with it. That would have been pretty bad. So. <laughs> All right, dude. I got more <laughs> stuff to say and this is going fun, but we should probably start recording the show because when my <laughs> wife comes home, she's going to want dinner and we're going to have to make a plan and scoot. So let's let's record and let's actually get to the content. How about uh, that? All right, that sounds like a plan. All right, let's talk about some games.